0: You're listening to the Practically Pastoring Podcast, where we want to help pastors and church leaders share ideas, become better shepherds and leaders, and have a good time with friends.
1: Welcome back to Practically Pastoring. Um, I'm here um, in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. My name is Frank Gill. I'm here with my friend in Baltimore, Maryland, Jeff Simpson. Hey, hey. Uh, In... uh, uh i'm gonna guess it's probably really pleasant right now like it probably the weather's probably nice in south carolina delmar p
2: very accurate and yes yeah
1: yeah and uh and my buddy who's alone today because tim miller's on assignment um
3: andrew larson it's uh it's good to be here guys great to be here and i was in south carolina all last week and it was freezing del i would have came and saw you friend I was there for like, I wasn't there all. I was there for like 72 hours. You know. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. <laughs> How far away is Sumter from Greenville? Uh, about two and a half hours. It's not too yeah. bad.
2: Yeah. No.
1: Good, 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 good. Well, um, did you enjoy, I, I just got into this, uh, Andrew. Um, I, um, I just got a smoker, and so I'm, I'm really trying to get into smoked meats. Um, I would imagine South Carolina has good barbecue. Oh, yeah. Um, did you enjoy any good barbecue, Andrew, when you were done there?
3: Uh the best barbecue I had on my trip was we stopped at Bucky's on the way up and as a former Texan I whenever I see the the Bucky's I get very excited and so I had a a delicious pulled pork sandwich at Bucky's but I did not have any South Carolina barbecue. Was that the Bucky's yet.
1: that's in at um in
3: Georgia? Yeah, it's a like Marietta area. It's like brand
0: new. Yeah, it's yeah. Like pretty new. Cool. You guys crisis averted. I don't know if you saw me distracted there for a second. My ring just went off at the front door which is at the parsonage across the street and one of my neighbors who has a similar number as i do just brought my sunday cool t-shirt order
2: oh that wow. was delivered wow.
0: delivered to the wrong house and he wanted to make sure i got it so kudos to you sunday cool for getting it out this quick and whoever my fedex guy is come on bro what t- come on
3: what t-shirt did you get
0: uh, we got one of the template ones. It's, it says "Welcome Home" with like two hands shaking and like kind of a heart with our church name on it. So we're gonna give those out on Easter.
3: So. Nice,
1: free advertising for Sunday Cool. Um, uh, maybe maybe in a couple of weeks we might actually hang out with those guys. So maybe. Cool. So yeah. Um, <clears throat> well, guys, um, not to toot my own horn, but it was a big week for me because uh, we launched our you campus. got a smoker. Oh, well, oh yeah, we, I did, yeah that that too. I got a smoker, um, and I uh, and I and I used it. I I just cooked burgers. Like I just used it as a grill. Basically, dip your toes so, in. So, the cool. you know,
2: However, you get started.
1: Yeah, you know But they had, I have, have a, bit, a good smoky flavor, though. Yeah, it was good. I, you, know you know go. what's funny? The hot the hot dogs are actually better than the burgers. What's your favorite reason?
2: meat in the smoker? Anybody?
1: I mean, I mean you I, can't go wrong with brisket. Brisket is
0: fantastic. I, I really like burnt ends. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like pork butt like, is great too.
2: Do you yeah, know what yeah, yeah. I've got my favorite thing I do is a pork tenderloin and down the middle of it you put like um cream cheese and then jalapenos and then you put it back together and then you wow. wrap it with pepper bacon I like that and then you you put a nice rub on that sucker so it's and pe- bacon wrap bacon with jalapenos oh my Gosh. And you know it's smoked right when that pork has that like that pink ring right in the inside. You're like, mm-hmm. you're not getting that from McDonald's.
0: See now, Frank, <laughs> we were we were talking about gardening earlier, and it's extra sure. satisfying when you grew the jalapenos from a seed. Oh. See, that's that's what it is. We'll get to that later though.
1: Yeah. I've I've never I've never I, I tried gardening once. It was it was rough. But yeah, I I um my campus has launched. It was great. A lot of people what? a lot of y'all it was so encouraging, like in the in the Facebook group. Someone said they were like praying for me and excited for me or whatever. And, and I think, you know what, it's like, I, 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 I don't think that that's the thing I didn't expect. Like, I know I posted like every single day on my Facebook or on my Instagram and Facebook about the the, the lead up to it. But my mindset was mostly just for my people, right? Like for my people on my social media and like maybe even community onlookers looking at my, my profile I like I I literally like wasn't thinking about people like you guys people who are like other ministry leaders who are like friends of mine. Ouch! We were no. thinking
2: about you, man. <laughs>
1: That's not no. I'm not. I'm not saying that in any mean <laughs> way. I, what I'm saying is my intention to post that stuff wasn't like a flex or anything like that. My intention to post it was for my for my people. But then what I saw at the other end of it was super nice. You know, people messaging, so, like people called me and like prayed for for me on the phone with me, people texting me and I mean it was just super super sweet and I was just like so honored it was like my birthday was a couple of weeks earlier it felt like my birthday all over again just getting tons of you know messages of people thinking about me it was really awesome overall the launch was great I mean it we there's lots of people, lots of community people, which is what you want. You know what I'm saying? And Can I make one no observation, though? Issues. Yeah, what's your observation? One
2: observation. You have officially lost your campus one day, and you are already on the stream with a long sleeve, button-up, <laughs> like plaid-looking like preacher shirt. Like You would fit so well in South Carolina preacher culture right now, Frank. I just want to <laughs> give you that.
3: Is it tucked in? It. You look, is it's it's not, tucked is it tucked in? Okay, It's not tucked okay. in. Okay. One okay. of those
0: special ja- untuck it shirts that's flat Jean, on the bottom. Jeans or
3: khakis?
2: Oh, I'm wearing jeans. This okay. Jeans. Okay. Well, like you said, it's been Um, a week.
0: You know what? No, this is this is the youth pastor goes to the board meeting look. That's what. (laughs) (laughs)
3: what He's
2: a little bit in trouble. He's not full in trouble. Like one kid kicked a hole through the wall in the deacon's room or something. That's it. Not too bad. Not too
1: bad. Jeff Jeff mentioned earlier um, when I was testing this. He was like, "Oh man, new office. You're not wearing a hat." And it's like I was like, "Oh my goodness." He's right. Like overnight, I'm like dressing like an adult, and it's only because I have I had a meeting. Um, uh, right before this, so I had to look somewhat like pastoral, but Hey, it was great guys. Uh, I, I would maybe, maybe, maybe we should do in a couple of weeks, a, um, another revisit to like multi-site ministry with me and Delmar and talk yeah. about
0: kind of like, love to, how, I'd love to do a whole episode on like the process of launching a campus. Delmar, did you launch your campus or was it there when you came?
2: Uh, well, I was a part of the launch process because okay. I was on the senior leadership team when we were launching, and then whenever the campus pastor left, I then stepped in. I wasn't boots on ground here, but I was in the process. So, yeah. yeah
0: so I'd be interested to hear like, the mm-hmm. whole process from both perspectives. Very cool.
1: I, I would love to actually, I mean, this is actually really interesting. Also, One can thing, we talk
0: about how much evangelicals like to
2: use the word launch? Launch and organic. We love launching organic. things.
3: We love it. I will. I will say I love lunch that. way more than lunch. <laughs> I, <agree. laughs> I skipped lunch, lunch to make sure I was here on time. I I, I, re- I didn't. I stopped on my way at. Hey, Mecca. Oh, I'm jealous. I'm jealous.
0: Mecca. <laughs> I was jealous. <laughs> I, I,
1: I, I yeah, was slipping uh, into the microphone. It's not Mecca. It's Jerusalem. <laughs> it's on, that's it's Israel true. for sure. Yep, yeah. that's true. I, um, I I was uncomfortable saying that we're planting a church because I don't want to minimize what actual church planters do because it's not the same as launching a new campus yeah you don't want to cross those words it's just out of respect to my church planning friends but um but i mean like literally it's it's it was great so we can talk about that another day hey uh it's been a good week we actually you know we took a week off um just because we're all you know spring break families were wanting to do stuff and we uh we were you know trying to enjoy and respect our everyone's time and stuff like that but we're back and uh and we started a new book for our book club. It's called uh, "It's called Eight Hour Sermons," right? Eight hours or less. Eight hours or less. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's how
3: most yep. of my sermons are. Good promo, though. I want people to actually stay awake through them or get a nice eight hours. <laughs> eight and- hours. <laughs> or less. Like <laughs>
0: sermons <laughs> in less than
2: eight hours. It's like a Isn't Mark that- Driscoll
3: sermon right there.
0: Yeah, it, it, it's funny
1: because like I got I way posted that picture on my Instagram. Um my story, I got two very different responses. One person was saying, Is it bad that it only takes me four hours to write a sermon? <laughs> <laughs> and he said, I can't imagine taking eight hours to write a sermon. And I was like, Okay. And on the other end, uh another guy said to me, It's impossible to write a sermon in eight hours. You're not really in the word if you if you're only spending eight hours. There it is. So so there was two different and I will say this to to you, Andrew. The guy who told me it wasn't enough is a DTS graduate. So I don't Boom. know what that means. <laughs>
3: I don't know what that means for you. It means (laughs) he values
1: the Bible. It means he values his his net Bible, and uh, (laughs) (laughs) and all the all the stuff in it. All right, hey. uh, So join us if you want to be a part of this book club. uh, Just join our Facebook group. All you gotta do is pick out this book. There's an Audible version of that, and we'll announce probably sometime in the next. Like two or three weeks, give us some time to actually read the But book.
0: hey, if you appreciate graphic design, you might want to get the paperback because the cover is oh, yeah. pretty nice. The inside the is
1: cover's out pretty nice. cool. It's not a big book. It's probably no. like 130 pages, right? That feels right.
0: 130, 130. Take you eight hours or less.
1: I would say, it. it's definitely. Like it
3: was written in eight hours. Yeah. <laughs> oh, ow. I, don't
0: know. I haven't read it yet. So I don't. I... No, it's good. It's good.
1: <laughs> Actually, a lot of my, I've, I've had, there was a couple people who also said they've read the book and thoroughly enjoyed it. So I'm actually really excited about it. I, I skimmed through it, it's laid out. I like the way it's laid out. It talks about like what you do on each day, yeah. which I've never, I oh, think wow. that's exciting to kind of see what, what it's going to be about. So if you want to join it, join our Facebook group, uh, pick up the book, and then join our Facebook Live in a couple of weeks when we talk about it. With that being said, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, um, we're going to enter some clergy cliff notes. All right, guys. So we took two weeks off, and a lot has happened in uh, the church world. All For right,
3: sure. yeah, no, nothing to talk about in the world of <laughs> you know it, it's
1: it's crazy. I, you know, uh, Delmar, I do want to recognize this. You sent me this link, and I actually read it last night. And I almost like I almost chose it to talk about it. That you sent me a link about how pastors are leaving their churches because of QAnon theories, mm-hmm. and and the only reason why I didn't want to choose that article is because I feel like we. We actually talk about that pretty frequently. (laughs) Is like the problem of like people in our church. I mean, I I get it.
0: I can understand that.
1: Oh, I mean, I just my my brother in law is a is a youth pastor in Nashville, and the Nashville area, and he was telling me about some of the stuffs going on in his church, and so I can just imagine. Like, I get it. I mean, I I I don't feel bad. Sorry, I feel bad for all these pastors who are dealing with this because I mean we're all kind of experiencing it. So it's like a really untenable
0: position. It's rough.
1: Yeah. So that's a real issue that we could have talked about that. Um, we could have talked about Beth Moore leaving the SBC, the, the popest of the SBC is left. Oh, I flight. have some
2: like conspiracies about all that too. Cause I'm knee deep in South Carolina Baptist life. So that's a fun conversation.
1: Mm. Well, <laughs> maybe we'll bring it up next week. Cause Let's I want to it. I, or maybe do I'll it. Like, I'm all about hearing your Beth Moore. Conspiracy theories, hey. But, uh, <laughs> but um so Beth Moore I, leaving the SBC, I'm it's okay big. with
3: not diving into Beth Moore conspiracy <laughs> theories. Call me crazy, but Delmar,
1: you're 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 one of the few voices um, from the SBC that that's on a podcast that can really like bring bring some hope for the for the for the convention for people because uh it seems like uh the sbc is taking l's left and right and between you and jd greer there's not many other people oh, who yeah. are like thank trying god trying to lead me it me
2: and jd greer right yeah yeah
1: you, you guys are on the same platform <laughs> okay, for sure uh, yeah so uh I, I'm just gonna automatically start calling it the Great Commission Convention because isn't that what they want to change the name to? The uh, there's Great a Commission section convention.
2: that does. Yeah there's a section. Uh, <laughs> it it depends cool. on who
1: you ask. Sure. So sure. yeah. Um, and then the other thing that came out in the news was that they found new Dead Sea Scrolls, um, some new parchments, which and, is and dope. Was like, super
3: that's super cool. cool.
1: It is. Super I cool. love stuff like that. I think. I think it's cool when it's like it kind of solidifies more what heard we already that have.
2: Actually, in the original King James, too. So all our <laughs> IFB brothers are really, really happy. It affirms everything.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's it's in the King James. That's every jot <laughs> and Every jot one. Every but um, but uh, that's a weird phrase. I always a really I, I was like, giant tittle, that's I love that's it what though.
3: We should, uh, open a co- we should open a coffee shop together called Jot and Tittle, <laughs> but with, with, with no context, just to, just to see what kind of crowd we draw.
1: Yeah. <laughs> that's funny. All right, so uh, last week there was a um, uh, a very serious. Situation that happened in Atlanta. It was a shooting of, of a young man who went to um, a couple of spas.
3: Kind by of a, by, of shooting by a young man of a young and,
1: man uh, killed eight people. I think he injured another person, also. Um, and six of the people were of Asian descent. And so uh, there's a lot that's come out since the shooting. There was a the the there seems to be some. To, to some um, leaning that the motive behind it was somewhat religious based in the sense that like he has stated that he, his intention was to uh, destroy the temptation that was out there. And so there's like a lot of assumptions here that these massage parlors were doing some more like, I don't know, sexual related stuff besides massages and things like that. Uh, regardless of the situation, the the, the thing is tragic. And what's the interesting element here is that there is this like religious component. And unfortunately, it ties back to the Southern Baptist convention in the sense that the church that he was a part of, that he was baptized in, that he was really, really involved in um, was a a Baptist church in the area. And so uh, what happened pretty quickly after this situation came out and people started connecting this man to the church is the church then took down their website and took down their social media. Um, and then, uh, you know, there's, I mean, obviously there's like ways to find older stuff like that, but they kind of went radio silent, probably because like their legal team probably advised them or it was out of like fear or, you know, trying to save, you know, I think they actually said it was out of their safety. Yeah. They said it was out of safety for their congregants of other people in their church. Um, and then recently they put their, their main domain back up and they have, um, what they basically put is like a statement out of what their thoughts are of the events. And they do like a brief Q and a. And ultimately there is, this is like full out saying what he did was wrong. And like the, the, the message that they try to preach to this church is not a message of violence, not a message of, of racism or, or or anything like that, that like they squarely put the blame of this on this young man and that their church does not represent the any of the actions or the things that this man said. Um, and then there was a quick Q&A kind of answering some mis, com, misnomers of like the story behind it. And so let me just say this. For the actual situation, one thing that we're not going to talk about because uh, that's not where I wanted this question to go is, is like, you know, there's a lot of people kind of criticizing the social justice aspect of this because there's now been a big plea of caring for Asian American and Pacific Islander people of descent in America. Um, Asian and Pacific Islander people of descent in America because of the acts of violence that have been gone towards them ever since the COVID virus began and kind of like the racist ties of people pointing it back to people of Asian descent. And so now there's like this big push of, of like kind of being aware, kind of similar to what happened um, in the middle of 2020 with a lot of like the Black Lives Matter stuff. And now it's focusing on Asian Americans and Pacific Islander people. And, and I just, I just personally reached out to three folks on my launch team who were of, uh, were of Asian American, uh, were were of Asian descent. And I just said, Hey, what do I need to know? How can I learn? How can I care for you? And, you know, I even asked, like, is this even affecting you or is this just something that's affecting someone else that happens to be of Asian descent and all three of them. So this is very anecdotal. All three of them said like, this is affecting them severely to the point where like they're afraid they like they're more afraid of going out like in public because they're afraid of acts of violence so this isn't like a small thing for them and so as a pastor i'm processing how i can care for all three of them and any other asians and asian in, in, people of Asian descent in my church but i think that there's a sense that like um this is very serious because it's tied to a church so my question is this is If you in your church had a situation where there was a congregant that did something appalling, something illegal, something they went to jail for, or whatever, and somehow the media and/or, you know, social media connects it to your church, how do you think they handled it? And how would you handle it?
3: I've never had that situation. I had an intern who was no longer an intern for me get arrested for molesting adolescent boys and it quickly got picked up and got tied back to the church and it was awful it was a horrible horrible situation because the church's name was in papers that we didn't want our name to be in and there were a few facts about his former employment that were correct but a whole lot of speculation that was not correct and the church kind of had to go on the defensive and you know it was uncomfortable for everybody that said, I think this is a very different situation than having an employee or a former employee do something wrong. I think as a church, we need to be open to the fact that we are going to have people in our congregations that suffer from all kinds of mental illness that are victims of of sin, and that's going to warp their minds, and as ministry leaders— We are going to be dealing with fallen people always, and I don't think any church needs to apologize for welcoming a sinner into their church. I think a statement saying this is not who we are, this is not what we represent makes a whole lot of sense, but to also say, and broken people will be welcome here because that's who we have that's who we're called to be is as much a part of that statement or should be as much a part of that. Now I'm just hearing myself talk and contradicting it. Um, I don't know that a church needs to come out and say, we need to, I don't know, my brain is I'm all on cold medicine. The last forty five seconds of that was just nonsense. <sighs> we need to edit it out. <laughs>
2: No, well, hold up. Pick that up because I think what I'm hearing is something that I've, we all know, and that's just the gospel is messy. Like we don't go for the people who are all just super put together because that's not who, G- I mean, if we were to go back into the skeletons of the closet of everyone who Jesus reached out, how many statements do you think Jesus would have had to put out? You know, I think the church taking their sight down temporarily to me seemed a little wise because cancel culture comes fast. And it comes hard, and it's and it's like a blip. Um, so I think, like for me, letting that pulling that off the radar before your entire church gets tanked, I, I don't think that's unwise. Um, as long as your church was speaking louder about the gospel than it was about other things, I think that's where churches need to be careful. Because if we, as pastors, sit on the pulpit and preach highly partisan stuff every week. Then what ends up happening is our people can go off the radar and then they can go back and listen to our sound bits and be like, well, look, you pastor, you were giving them this highly partisan stuff. But if our church says, no, we're preaching God's word, we're going to preach the gospel and keep it in that vein, uh, then it's less if you can use the word traceable. I want any good thing that comes out of my people to be traced back to the gospel alive in my church. And anything that is not good, I want to be highly traceable through the teaching of our word to the sinful nature of man. So,
0: yeah, I I think it's pretty tough to uh, say, you know, what I would do or wouldn't do. This is a pretty big and specific situation, so that's pretty difficult to know what I would do. Um, I don't think I've ever, I've never been the senior pastor uh, of a church when someone has done something to even be arrested. Uh, I've been on staff at a couple churches where that was in the church's history, but to me, you know it, it is a pretty tough one i don't I don't think that any statement they made uh, would have been you know just accepted by everybody. Anything they said, somebody would have had a problem with it. it wasn't enough. it was too much. Um, so I, I think you know ultimately this church and its elders are going to answer to the Lord for how they led their folks, and so it's pretty tough for me to be critical of it. Uh, having said that, I mean, I I probably think it was a pretty wise thing to take down social media and stuff for the sake of uh, your members not being, you know, people coming at them. I totally get taking your uh, website down, your social media down, and then putting something up later. Uh, frankly, I think what they have up now is pretty clean and uh, looks good, and they clearly link it back to their statement of faith um but again it really isn't it's an issue of kind of explaining what discipleship actually is to the onlooking world that you know we're not we're not like shunning a guy we're not we're just saying you know and I'm speaking as if I'm this church we're just saying this is not the ultimate way that a christian is intended to behave we, you know we're supposed to be people that are displaying the fruit of the spirit and none of those things is on display in an action like this so to me, you know, I, I know that Frank had posted uh, the the Twitter link in our like show notes of a, a guy's uh, status saying how he, you know, he didn't think it was enough. I, I don't know. I, I'm not sure that, frankly, I, I care what that guy has to say. Um, and if I was the pastor of a church and this happened, um, you know, again, the only people that I'm concerned with answering to are my members, and then and then the Lord. Um, having said that yeah, this is a big story, and you're going to have to deal with the media. And I do know that in dealing with a little bit of media that I've had here, they are going to get things wrong. Um, And it sometimes is going to seem like they're intentionally getting things wrong. Reading the news stories of this, it was very interesting to see what things were highlighted. Um, You know, that the church said he did this because of his quote-unquote sex addiction or that the church said he was had a depraved heart and this is a secular culture saying these things with somewhat of a you know critical eye that we in the church believe that people are have a depraved nature which is interesting because that's basically we agree with that yeah people do have a sinful depraved nature that's broken and the whole point of the gospel is god coming and and acknowledging that and being honest with us about it and then doing something about it ultimately, which is the cross. And so, yeah, it, I mean, short answer. I don't know what I would say. It's a hard one, but I don't, nothing that I've read so far has made me react like, wow, I can't believe they handled it this way. I saw one person on Twitter say that the church's page is basically a version of, am I my brother's keeper? And I read the church's statement and I didn't take it that way at all. I thought they owned it pretty well saying he was a baptized member here. Um, But just because what he did is not a result of what we, you know, what we teach. I'm actually
1: kind of surprised he didn't, the the church hasn't gotten more pushback from folks saying, wow, the church has abandoned this kid. They have gotten some of that. They have. I haven't.
0: Yeah. Which, which again, is a misunderstanding of discipleship and church discipline. Yeah. You know, I, I don't. How can you don't know that they've actually abandoned him? They've made a public statement. That doesn't mean the pastor isn't calling him in jail. and still talking to him. I mean, I'm going to assume that they are. right? But at the same time, they're telling the truth about the reality of the situation and this guy and the fact that this doesn't align with our doctrine. This isn't what we teach.
2: You know, it's kind of like Southern Baptist. We kind of deal with this. Like, for example, this was a Southern Baptist church, right? And uh, do you know when it comes to animals, which dog bites more people per animal in the U.S. a year than any other animal?
0: I'm going to guess Poodle. One. Yeah, Labs or Poodles.
2: Southern Baptist dogs. Hey, Wolf! No, uh, it's from last I looked, it was a Golden Retriever. Yeah. And who would have thought that? But the reason is, it's because the Golden Retriever is one of the most owned dogs in America. So by sheer quantity of them, you have more getting bit. And, you know, I think with that being said, like sometimes in the Southern Baptist church, I think it's, it is fun and it's easy to rag on Southern Baptist, but sometimes the, the size of them there by nature pulls in all of the other stuff as well. You know? And I think that's one of the, as we have that conversation, even within, with denominations, it's like everyone is its own entity, just like every golden retriever is its own entity. And even with our own congregants, they're not all one monolithic human being. We have to deal with them individually. And we can't just say, oh, they're the worst because they put this out. Um, it's not like you've got the Westboro guy up there preaching. You know, obviously this church is really concerned. And I, I my prayer in this, because, you know, especially as I hear Frank's heart um, about how it's really affecting people, my prayer is, okay, God, here's what I know. You take evil things and repurpose them every single day of the week. So God, can you please just do something for this to give this church a platform to share the gospel? I don't know how you would do it, but please do that.
0: I think one of the things I think about in all this, and, and I'll just be quick with this. I think that as evangelicals, we need to do a just a really deep study of kind of our theology of our physical bodies, Because there's so much going on right now where it's like we live in this weird tension where we're saying on the one hand, your body doesn't matter, your ethnicity doesn't matter, race doesn't matter, your gender doesn't matter. But we're living in a world where it's like all these things are happening to our physical body self. And I just wonder if, you know, I I pulled up a Times article on kind of the evangelical – issue of talking so much about how people have a sex addiction and how this uh this you know this doctor is talking about how that's really not even a thing and the way we overshoot on talking about pornography and then at the same time talk tell guys that it's basically well that's part of who you are you just you know lust is going to be something you struggle with and so i just think we need to do a much better job of talking about uh just a theology of our bodies like we're not two separate things soul and body it's one we're one person
2: Yeah, I mean, truthfully, my pastor just this past year did a series on your body and he actually sat down with and was telling us all how hard it is to find good, biblically grounded information when it comes to the physical body. He says everything that he found that had to do with physical body generally went back to like sex or purity, but there's not a whole lot that says, no, this is just how we are to be in the skin God's given us, you know? Um So I will ask this to the, the listeners of the podcast. If any of you have any resources on that, especially if you have a book recommendation, we would really love that resource. Any kind of godly, you know, exposition or theology or anything on just what it, how do we take care of this body? What does it mean to glorify God in the body that you've been given?
1: I do, um, you know, there's a, there's a conversation that's been happening online that I, I, I've i been thinking about a lot, and I I, I feel like I'm going – I feel like my, my thoughts are going against what is kind of like the zeitgeist of the part of evangelical Twitter that I follow in the sense that there's a conversation – and I think it's really around the SBC, but I think the Ravi Zachariah thing actually kind of brought it up within um, – uh, the CMA, but also evangelicalism in general is a, a big argument about the situation with this church is that the thing they didn't apologize for is they, that they're, 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 assuming that Southern Baptist theology or evangelicalism as a whole enables and creates these types of figures. And so like, so like whether it's Ravi Zachariah, like, evangelicalism kind of protected and created and elevated a man that could abuse, seriously abuse women. The SBC creates a system where we make a theology kind of to your point, Dumar, it's creating a theology that the outcome leads to people who are quote unquote sex addicted. And then as to say, we should kill our, our lust physically goes and shoots a number of people, I my, my pushback with this is like kind of what you you actually I mean, Delmar. This is rare that we agree on something. I'm just kidding, what? but you, you you make a point. <laughs> wow. you make a point. You make a point that actually I think is actually a, a fair argument is, is like the SBC is 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 it the largest denomination or the largest convention of churches in America? It's yeah. It, yeah. it has to be at least the, the one. if not the, the biggest one, and it's like whenever you have such a large. Segment of the population to to broad banner to broad brush it as this whole thing is bad is like saying like it's just just, it doesn't make sense it's not it's not logical are there a lot of bad stuff happening in the SBC sure if you take any large if you take any problem it's going to be bigger in a large pool of people and so I think like I'm wrestling with this because it's like people are saying the church should apologize and do an investigation internally, whether or not their theology for the past however many years has enabled this man to do this. And the part of me wants to be like, I don't know if the, um, I don't know what the logical fallacy is this, but I don't know if this situation is a reflection on the entire denomination or in the entire scope of evangelicalism as much as it's like, When we see sinful people do sinful things, A, we shouldn't be surprised, but B, it's not tied to specifically denomination because it's like SBC people do it, Methodist people do it. Obviously, we've seen it in the Catholic Church. I I think the Catholic Church is a great example of this. It's such a big thing that, of course, we're going to see pedophiles and abusers in it. Now, could there be something in that system that enables and protects abusers? I, I would be able, I would be, I would say it's fair to hear those, those those things, but to say let's completely dismantle an entire denomination simply because of the fact that we see certain cases in it, I yeah. think is an unfair call to it. Anyways, well, what, throw, uh,
2: hold on, let me throw this out there to you because I think that's wise, Frank. We can dig into theology all day long. A lot of time that can be as tight as it needs to be, but the real issue is not in theology. If there is a place to blame, sometimes it's a it's the culture that's created within the system itself. Um, it might not even be attached to the theology. And, and one of the things that breaks my heart, and we mentioned this a few podcasts ago, is how when we watched the Elephant in the Pew series from a few years ago, how all those pastors were in there and look at how many of them have fallen. And if, if we're just going to be super transparent, a lot of those guys would have adhered to what you would call Reformed theology. And, and Reformed Theology doesn't teach, you know, go cheat on your spouse. You know, it doesn't cheat, go, go get drunk and beat your kids. Um, but yet, for some reason within that culture, and I don't know what it is, this manly, have a beard, drink beer culture, I don't know, um, there's something in it that's apart from the theology and i think that by us look just say we're just going to deep dive in, in theology i actually think we're doing a disservice than looking at the entire thing as a whole saying is there a cultural component here that we're missing
3: well we want a theology that validates us and so if i am prone to <laughs> if i'm prone to be chauvinistic i'm going to love a chauvinistic theology if I am prone to have a sex addiction, I'm going to love a theology that says, hey, guess what? You're probably going to have a sex addiction. So it's it's part of human nature is we want the thing that we're ashamed of and that we don't really like. We we want other people to say, oh, yeah, yeah, me too. like I, I struggle with that same thing as well. And so we are naturally drawn to a theology that fits our own sinfulness, which is why Being biblically literate is so important because until you can think for yourself, until you can have an in-depth theological perspective for yourself, you're always going to be drawn to thinkers that are going to, you know, stoke whatever embers of your sinfulness are under the surface.
1: That's good. That's good. There might be. I mean, I I would be interested in having this discussion even further of like because I just heard if you haven't heard there's a guy named Jim Artisby he wrote the color of compromise he had a really interesting interview with um, on his own podcast called Pass the Mic and he talked about like, like kind of his relationship with the reform community like the Gospel Coalition a uh, Reformed Theological Seminary and and kind of like the tension he felt because of his desire to do racial reconciliation and basically how he was kind of pushed out into the margins. He was on path to be ordained in the PCA church. And, uh, and it, I mean, the podcast was kind of severe and that's what led Beth. That's one of the reasons that led Beth Moore to leave the SBC. It's all kind of intertwined. I I I'm, I'm very mixed on this because I do think that there are like injustices happening, but I don't know if it's tied to a banner denomination or a banner kind of theology or thinking i think there's just a lot of bad people in leadership <laughs> i don't know i don't know maybe, maybe that's also be broad brushing people in leadership but um anyways let's let's take a let's take a quick break before i, I uh cancel myself from all these awesome <laughs> blogs i want to write to one day um and uh and uh and and go on to our next subject but before we do that let's take a quick break and when we come back we'll do, go into our main discussion Speaking of the Gospel Coalition, uh, the Gospel Coalition had an article that I thought was really, uh, really, really interesting, especially in the time that we're in right now. You know, Florida has um, has it opened up completely, or is it? I are mean, you guys
3: Texas now? We're not quite Texas, but I think Florida <laughs> never had Florida never had state wide mandates; it was municipality by municipality. Sure,
1: and I and I think like 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 we're seeing more states soften. In a sense, like it's not, it, I think it's tied to some real data that like numbers are going down. More people are getting the vaccine. Um, and the people that, that are getting the
3: vaccine are the older people, therefore the most susceptible to COVID. So yeah. now if you those know, would be in the hospital. Yeah. Ex- so if any one of us gets it, chances are we'll probably be okay. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And so churches are opening up conversations of rolling back those kind of like COVID restrictions that you were creating the front end. So so I guess there's this article from the gospel coalition about should online church continue. And I think we, we kind of talked about this a little bit already where I think the quick answer should be. Yes. I think we're, we're like, you know, there is this world that the COVID kind of pushed us into, but at the same time, like um, we just have to figure out how we're going to handle it. So, so, you can read the article. He gives kind of a good kind of like summary of like what churches should think about and do as they are thinking of uh, online church after the pandemic. But I guess my question is you guys is kind of checking in. We've talked about COVID church for a while. Uh, wh- whenever someone joins our Facebook group, they if they fill out the form, which many of them do, I ask that there's a question in the form that says, what is your like biggest thing right now? Like what's your biggest issue that you want to talk about? And I would say four out of five of them is – pastoring during covid pastoring during a pandemic and so i guess my question is now that we're getting there is a light at the end of this tunnel now we're seeing the light right and we're getting closer to it what are your plans for the future are there any chance, are you are you going to be like we're once we're fully live we're canceling our online stream is there any like we're going to actually double down like i could tell you what my church is doing but i want to hear what you guys are doing
2: well before we go like in the weeds 50,000 feet up the conversation that i think is worth having is about the nature of together because to me, that is the underpinning philosophical discussion that this is forcing the church to have. What does it mean to be together? Because I mean, I think about back when the Bible was first put into print for the average people, what did the church say? No, the average people shouldn't have the Bible. It should be in its original language. You shouldn't have it. And then what got redefined is what does it mean to have God's word and to have God's word meant you got to have a copy and the church split over it. Well, right now, Whether I like it or not, a large part of our culture feels like being together now is sitting on a live stream, liking the service button, you know, like, so we can push against that current and actually have good theological reasons for it. Or we can look at it and say, okay, this meaning of together is getting redefined Is there any way we can redeem this for Jesus while at the same time showing the importance of physically gathering? So to me, that's the real philosophical thing. I'm just trying to move my own head through in COVID because on the other side of this, we all know, you can see the writing on the wall, but I need to know like, where does that sit in my heart, my own piece with what it means to be together?
3: I mean, we didn't buy all this gear to just quit in a year, right? I mean, uh, uh, hopefully not. uh, (laughs) I I don't think online is going anywhere. And I think just from from my friend group, the churches that weren't doing any kind of streaming service pre-COVID were ones that kind of had the theological leaning of, listen, we think that something spiritual and mystical happens when the church gathers together and we don't want to give people the excuse to be at a soccer tournament and watch on their phone or or whatever it is. And I think a lot of that Thought And that reasoning is going away. And that's not just one ilk of churches. I think, you know, Hillsong never used to do any live broadcasts of their churches either. So this isn't just an American, you know, very conservative leaning group. This is uh, This is something that permeates different theological bodies across the world. But I think now after the past, it's, you know, by the time everything is said and done, let's say everything is completely reopened. Let's say Labor Day weekend. We're still going to deal with 18 months of a new reality, and I don't think you can just put that toothpaste back in the tube. I think no matter what you do, I don't think any one of our churches is going to be operating at 100% of what we were on March 14th, 2020, I or what, whatever date it is in your community that you really had to pump the brakes. I don't think any one of our churches is going to be at 100%. I think getting... Volunteers to come back is going to be harder than getting attendees to come back. I think just across the board, it's going to be trickier. And so, if you can't get as many volunteers to serve in your children's ministry, you're going to have to tell the people that are serving in your children's ministry, hey, we need you to watch online after the fact because we need you to be here in children's ministry. There's going to be people that, hey, I got sick and because I was sick, then my immune system is compromised. And so the littlest sniffle I'm going to hit pause on myself for the next couple of weeks. So I don't think there's a way to go back to the way we were doing it before.
0: Yeah. I think, you know, the last year and or more now, more than a year um, has really, we talked so much about spiritual formation um, in discipleship, and what the last year and a half has really done is shown us how important habits are, and how important just day to day life is informing us. Because really, the last year or so has deformed us in many ways as church families, uh, because it has taken away a very important aspect of our life, which is life together in community. Dell, what you said, you know, I might say it by saying that we need to really have uh, a lot of thinking and and praying through the idea of presence and what it means to be present with one another, uh, which is basically, I think what you're saying about being together. Uh, Is it possible to be present with one another in the same exact way over a screen as it is in person? The answer to that is kind of murky and kind of yes and kind of not really. And um, so for us, you know, right now we, we take communion every week still, but we don't do that part online. Uh, That part happens after online is over and then everybody, Uh, sticks around for another, you know, five, 10 minutes, we have a communion service together, uh, and we really emphasize what happens. And so I think what it's going to be is a just another step to um, de-emphasizing the Sunday experience in terms of the day-to-day discipleship of people, where you're going to have to figure out ways to connect with people and pastor people uh, in little small snippets every day, as opposed to assuming they're going to you know, be there on a Sunday, yeah. uh, even if they hear the content, which is, you know, the teaching Christianity isn't a content religion. Um, it, it It's not less than that, but it's more than that. So yes, the content of your sermons matters. I'm not saying it doesn't. Um, that's where the majority of my time is spent. It's just that I'm now having to learn that, you know, a 25 or 30 minute sermon, and then a few hours a week spent with people, Uh, on my back deck, talking with them, helping them through issues, is probably more important than a 45- or 50-minute sermon for those specific people. And that's going to just continue. But I do think there's specific things that you can't do online. Like, there's no way to baptize somebody online. There's no way to really do communion online, in my opinion. I know that's up for debate. Um, And so I do think there are certain things where, for us as a church family, we are going to say, hey, this is something... You know, we love that you're with us on Sunday morning to take in the sermon and maybe the music. But now that we're able to gather back together, this part of the service is going to be something that we do uh, in person only. And, you know, that, that's probably going to be communion. I, I'm even thinking about what that means for uh, for singing together, uh, whether or not that should be online or not. Because to me, the the gathered worship part of our gathering is an entire body experience. This goes back to what I said about having a theology of our bodies. Um, You know, when you sing in a room full of people, it's very different than you and your wife sitting on the couch watching a church uh, sing together and trying to sing. It's just you don't feel it. It's just not the same thing. So, you know, once it becomes where the only people who aren't coming in person are really the people who are medically providentially hindered from that, then I do think it's like I'm, I'm battling with is this is this almost getting to the point of an issue of discipline with people? where it's like you physically are able to come, you know, it's the right thing to do to come, but you're not coming because it's just more convenient. That's really not a good enough reason. So then that you start asking, how does that work its way into talking about church membership? How does that work its way into talking about uh, discipline? When we get to that as a church member, what are my expectations on church members? When I say regular attendance, regular engagement, what do I actually mean by that? So I think this has a lot of uh, positive opportunities to really define what we mean when we say things.
3: Jeff, I would say, so we, we take communion online. We say, you know, we let people know ahead of time, Hey, we're going to be doing this. Here's what it might look like for you. And so, you know, maybe this is a conversation to have when we don't have to be done in 15 minutes of this recording, but I think that's (laughs) certainly a fun conversation to have, but I would love to know who actually sings at home? So you're watching on the yeah. YouTube app on your TV, or you're watching on your phone. How many people actually? Sing? I mean, I know for a fact, you know, our engagement numbers are way up afterwards than right yeah. during the service. And I, our our praise team does a great job. I think if you're tuning in after the fact, you're not tuning in to be like, "Hey, I'm gonna sing along with my TV for a little bit." We, we
2: were streaming pre, pre-COVID, and then um, what I noticed is before COVID, there's other ministers in the area who are like, we'll never do that online thing. We'll never do that tithing online thing. And then when the COVID came and our tithes came in and theirs didn't, they were like, show me how to get that tithy button on your website so we could get, you know, and really we are in a completely different world. And we have a, um, a minister, their only job is to be that present person in the people's life and she has a team. So if you're watching our stream, they're going to drop in your inbox and say, Hey, we noticed your, your message right now. Is there anything we could pray for you with? And I think it's just a lot of intentionality because I know for us, we have people from other States watching one girl from another state was watching of our service. She met Jesus. Yeah. So our online minister reached out to a local church in her area and got her baptized. And we were able to celebrate that. Um, It's shaking up the bag because I don't know about you, but a lot of people, they're not regular attenders anymore. And in one part of the state, in a place called Newberry, which is about an hour and 30 minutes from here, this couple started watching when COVID came because their entire city shut down. And they've been watching for a year and they showed up at church last week and they're like, hey, listen, we know we're an hour and a half away, but this has become our church in the last year. So once a month, we're going to come to church here and we're going to tithe here. And I'm like, wow, that kind of makes you a regular attender now anyways, you know, but uh, it's really shaken up everything. And I think the real question we just really need to sit in, and I really like the way you frame this, Jeff, is you're like, okay, you're watching, but are you really participating? And I think there is something to be said about allowing the, the casual viewer online to know that there is something you're missing by not being here. We're about to close the stream. And when we close the stream, this other thing's going to happen that we would love to have you for. You know, it's kind of a nice way of administering some some hard truth. But I love the way you frame that as, hey, listen, you got all you can get online today. There's some other things we got to take care of in-house. There's probably a better way of saying it. Frank, I'd be curious to see how your church does it, create that interest
1: yeah, I mean, I think it's very similar to what you just said, Damar. Is we have we have our, our own person here. Um, he's a he's a part time person. He's he's considered the online campus pastor because we we've actually decided to not just have a, a stream of the service, but we're declaring it an online campus because there are did. folks there's folks that we know are never going to step in foot into an Epicos building, and because they're like they're like in different states or whatever. And so those conversations of baptism haven't been figured out yet. Um, Like Andrew said, we don't have time to talk about the complexities of online communion either um, because we have made some decisions on that regards communion. And I think what I love about having this staff person is his full-time, not his full-time, his part-time job. His part-time job is to figure this out, is to figure out um, how to engage people and what does presence mean? What does community mean? What does being pastored mean? What does discipleship mean in an online campus? And uh, I'm just grateful someone has a full time job to think about that, and not me, because, <laughs> because it's like it's Amen. hard to split your time in that. And so so with that being said, like I'm not envious of Andrew and Jeff. You, you guys have to figure out because you guys do have to split your time in thinking about. What does it look like to care and shepherd for the people in front of you, and also where this stream is going? Well, I think one thing. I, it, oh, go ahead.
0: I, I was just going to say. Uh, I just want to add, like, I you know what I said about communion and baptism. Like, I, I I'm not um gonna die over that. Like that, th- my convictions about that right now. This is second handed issues we're talking about. We're talking about Amen. methods and modes and what it is. We're not talking about the gospel. We're not talking about core. You know, the the method of communion is pretty important, but it's not it's not a first you know uh, an issue of first importance it's a secondary issue maybe even you know third uh, tertiary issue but um so i I think we can great use of tertiary. yes i wanted to use it but i wasn't sure if it would make me look too bougie but then i went for it um it was was perfect (laughs) okay so i just think be open to conversations listen to your folks i mean uh, listen to, you know, folks of different ages in your church who have different ideas about things. Talk to the people who are only engaging online, who maybe were coming before and ask them like what the experience is like, what things do you miss? What, what could we do that makes it more engaging for you? You know, all those kind of things are really important and be flexible. This is not like written in stone theological truth that you need to die on a hill over. This is like a brand new thing that the church is going to have to figure out.
2: Yeah, just to kind of, I think that is really important in every single church that you are actively not just saying hello, but engaging the people who are viewing online. Our church just did a really Big, well thought out survey, and they sent it to every online viewer because we were looking at possibly getting rid of one of two of our worship songs and maybe replacing that with something else. So you're not just like streaming the service. Overwhelmingly, well over half of the people who tune in say they want the streamed music because it re- it remi- yeah. caught me way off they guard. I feel like they're in I the room think- more. I had the same yeah. thing. I not think that was going to happen, but they were like, "We want that streamed music. We love seeing Christy on stage. Mm-hmm. She's one of our, you know." So, but in other church, like I look at Mark Driscoll's uh, the Trinity Church, their online stream is fantastic, and you can custom, you can tell it's custom built for schmucks like us who t- tune in, who never will go to that church. It's just one pre recorded song with the lyrics over it, but they're going for a different thing. So I think you've got to know what you're wanting out of your live stream. For us, it's a campus. So we're going for a very specific thing. Um, But engaging your people with real, like, actual questions and getting data is going to help you um, in that turn.
1: You know, I think I'm looking forward to, like, Lifeway Research or whoever does this poll in like about two or three years. Cause I think going into COVID, we we realized that there 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 was a trickle down and the average attender, what call what we call a regular attender, was like what, w- once a month, basically, or or one one and a half times a month or something. And I think it's gonna be interesting seeing what that number yeah, is. Yeah, is it gonna be once in person world. and twice online? That's regular now? Like yeah. Yeah, I, it's gonna be really interesting to see that numbers. Well, hey, we're gonna take a quick break. When we come back, we're gonna close out this episode with the question of the week. Hey, so uh, we talked about this at the top end of the show. I just got a smoker, and it, 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 there's a big story behind that. A meat actually, I didn't actually a meat smoker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Wisconsin's legal, baby. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, no, uh, it's not even true. It's not legal in Wisconsin, I don't think. We, we um, stopped anyway, at a really sketchy gas
3: station in North Georgia because one of my boys had to pee when we were on our road trip.
0: Did you get any
3: boiled peanuts? We did not get any boiled peanuts. but So it was, it was a one-seater, and I've got four sons. And so I had my oldest son go first so that he could come out and, you know, not touch anything and he was in front of the display of for tobacco use only pipes <laughs> and he was like dad look yeah. how cool these look you should get one and i was like eh. <laughs> not time to have that conversation son that's funny
1: so yeah i got a meat smoker and uh there's a whole story i'll explain maybe um in a couple weeks uh wh- why i got it because i didn't actually didn't pay for it but It's a, it's, it's one reason why I wanted to get into it is one thing I was experiencing and trying to figure out is what are my hobbies? Because literally my hobbies are just waiting to the next episode of the next Marvel show on Friday. Like literally, like, I don't know what else I'm doing with my life if I'm not like doing church work. And so, um, so I, I, you know, it's so stereotypical. It's like, Hey, you're in your mid thirties. You're a man, you have a backyard, you should smoke meat. And, hey, it's a hobby I'm excited to learn. I don't know. I literally don't know how to do any of it. I'm, like, literally learning and researching and watching YouTube videos, and it's exciting. And I enjoy particular smoked meats, so I would love to maybe learn how to cook it. You know what I'm saying? That would be a cool thing. So I want to just know from you guys, you three, what is a hobby that you have? Maybe it's something we don't know, but what's a hobby that you enjoy doing that, you know, is not at all related to anything in your ministry?
0: Well, I mean, we're preachers. Everything's always related in an illustration type of way, but— true yes true. uh i would say right now my biggest hobby is kind of handyman stuff around the house i like to fix things and uh it's just i get enjoyment out of making things out of wood and then earlier we were talking about gardening so springtime's here gonna get the garden going love it do
1: you do you do like i get handyman stuff and i can do that but do you do you get into like remodeling yeah like, have you like changed your flooring and stuff or, um, like or refaced cabinets or something?
0: I have done a little bit of some of that. Yes. The reason why I'm asking is like, I feel very inept when it comes to You know like, what I always say. McLeod. One of the greatest gifts that my dad gave to me, and I mean, this in all seriousness was just confidence to try stuff like that. Like as a boy, he always let me help him fix things and do things. And I think like every time I like right now, I'm building a pergola on top of my deck. Uh, which does require a little bit of knowledge of like how framing works and how to, you know, hold a load and make sure that things aren't going to like break when the wind blows. And it's just, I just, you know, I've done enough of that stuff with dad that I just feel like I can do it and it won't break. So it's, it, yeah, I would say that, yeah, some remodeling type of things, electrical, some plumbing. Yeah. Cool. do, what you got? Yeah.
2: I wish we lived closer because that's actually been my world. We just, my wife and I, we just bought a new house across town and um, behind it was an old veterinary supply. It was like 1500 square foot and it just came with the house. So I've been renovating that into an office studio in case we wanted to rent it out. So like I'm building walls, insulation, laying floor, putting in new ceiling, junk I didn't know how to do two months ago. And, you know, I'm learning like some hobbies, I do them for a season. And I love them. And some of them, I do them forever, you know, and this is one of the ones I'm, it's a hobby right now, whether I want it to be or not, I've learned a lot of life skills out of it though. Just like random stuff. Like how do you trace wires in a building to know what you need and what you don't anymore? So yeah, I think I'm kind of in the same, same building with you, bud.
3: I am terrified of power tools. I had to buy a $20 electric screwdriver the other day and didn't know what to buy. And it was scary, Um, which is bad because I also have recently purchased a house that is in need of a whole lot of renovating, but that's why I'm paying other people to do it for me. I, I cook quite a bit and that was not a hobby that I ever thought would be a hobby. But when you have four little kids that only want chicken nuggets and mac and cheese, uh, my wife makes them a lot of chicken nuggets and mac and cheese. And so I took on actually at the beginning of COVID, I told my wife that I would be in charge of her and my dinner until COVID was done, which was way too open-ended of a statement. And so, <laughs> I, what, what I and meant here was, we you are. Know, yeah. So I think, but literally from March until June of last year, I made dinner for me and my wife every night and just different stuff that we knew the kids wouldn't eat. So uh, I, I do lots of seafood stuff because we're in Florida. Last night I did I did a steak with some shrimp and baked potatoes. And, you know, not super advanced stuff. But tonight I'm doing pasta with shrimp, scallops, and chicken. And so so I cook a couple times a week something that is a grown up meal that the kids will not partake in. I this is very ministry related because I like techie stuff that came in very handy when COVID happened because all of the podcast gear that was sitting in my office just got moved to the worship center so that our church didn't miss a beat and got, could move online right away. And last week I spent five or six hours with a church plant up in Atlanta, kind of getting them, Hey, here's a budget friendly way to make stuff look decent online. So I, I, I it's ministry related, but it's ministry adjacent doing fun tech stuff. And I watch a lot of TV and movies and I, I watch the same things over and over and over again. Why watch something new when you can watch something that you like? Uh, I think I've dude, watched we've been, we've been Lost six loves or Raymond. seven times. It's oh, great.
2: Cheers is my show.
3: Uh, I'm going through Harry Potter for, I think, the sixth time right now with my three oldest boys. It's the first time for the numbers two and three, but my sixth time from start to finish. And I just really enjoy finding something that I like and revisiting it time and time again.
1: Guys, uh if Marvel can be a hobby, that's probably my hobby. I I I really love like all things Marvel right like, now. Like we hate I'm that super, new I, Captain America, right? Here, like
3: whoever he is, we just we have to the, hate him, right? Oh, the new oh, Captain yeah. America. Yeah, no, I don't like that. I, like,
1: I like the show. I don't like that new Captain America. He's probably gonna be bad for he sure. He was in there for eight seconds, uh, and I
3: was like, that guy needs to get punched in the face. He yeah. looked like the
1: guy from up. <laughs> yeah. Um, yes, he does. Anyways, uh, dude, this was fun. Uh if you want to join uh, the Facebook group, that's where the conversation is going to continue. Go on to Facebook and look up Practically Pastor in the Facebook group. We would love to keep this conversation going there. Join our book club. Join our so- Find our social networks on Instagram, all that kind of stuff. Um, and we'll be again next week. Hopefully, Timmy will join us. But if not, um, Andrew, I hope you feel better. Uh, Delmar, I hope your, uh, your construction project goes well. And, uh, hey. and Jeff, enjoy your salad. I hey, will. with that being said, uh, I'm Frank Gill. I'm Jeff Simpson. I'm Delmar Pete. And I'm Andrew Larson. And this is Practically Pastoring. We'll see you next week. Bye.
0: Thanks for listening. Get connected to other pastors by joining the Practically Pastoring Facebook group, where we get to share ideas and make each other better.